0: Hi doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning into this episode of Ready to Record from Blue Girl Studios. My name is Daniel the D3 Cohen. I'm your host and I'm speaking to you from Blue Girl Productions worldwide headquarters and studios here in my garage. I'm a 19 year old aspiring musician, engineer and producer. And like many of you guys, I make music out of my own home studio. You know, some of today's biggest hitmakers work from home studios. So maybe we can help one of you accomplish your big dreams. In my last episode, I shared the first part of my conversation with Mr. Tony Shepard. It's a great episode. You should totally check it out on our network site, pantheonpodcasts.com, as well as many other great music podcasts. You can also check it out on our site, bluegirlproductions.net, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Today is part two with Tony Shepard, and you're really going to like it if you like part one. So let's get right into it. Here's part two with Tony Shepard.
1: Everybody has to find what their sonic footprint is. Mm -hmm. Um, And once you figure out what you want that to be, then you start picking gear based around what that sonic footprint is going to deliver. And for some people, it's vintage gear. And for other people, it's completely in the box. But you know, I, you know, when I grew up, geez, can't believe that. Uh, when, when I was growing up, there were, it was just like Al used to say, it's about microphone placement. And, you know, I would listen to albums uh, that like Mick Gazowski, I, I sure. was at the audio lunch one time. And I said, you know, man, when I was growing up, dude, you were, you were one of my sonic heroes. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah. I said, the children of Sanchez was just like I used to listen to that non stop mm-hmm. and so to hear him tell stories about that album was just amazing to me, and it crafted how i you know learned to be an engineer and what was important to me microphones being important microphone placement you know not necessarily grabbing for an eq but like moving it over two inches to the left or something right and and nowadays i mean i I got someone's mix the other day they they were like they were running into an issue and they had so many plugins on the mix i said there's nothing i can do for you they go well just take everything off i go i, I, I no <laughs> no sure there's no, i mean they on on the lead vocal they had 10 plugins on the lead vocal
0: what were the 10 plugins that, that i makes, was like that makes no sense sh-
1: they had two different tuning devices. Really? Yes. Oh, boy. They had two different compressors. They had two different EQs. And I'm, I'm like, you know, why? What, what's the deal with this? And they're like, well, I wasn't happy with this, and I decided to do this, and I was going to do this. I'm like, oh, my God. I said, I, I, I'm, I can't go down this rabbit hole with you. This is, and there are times when you listen to it, and it's like, I cannot help you. There is nothing I can do that is going to, that sound that you came up with is not something I can ever, you're glued to that sound. Mm -hmm. Nobody is going to be able to change you because if you've done that, you're down the rabbit hole. You don't don't know any other sound. It's like, well, this is not working for me. I'm like, well, there could be a reason for that, (laughs) (laughs) you know? What were you trying to go for? It's like, I don't know. I just kept putting more plugins on it I'm like, oh, that's not right. the answer, man no,
2: you
0: got- <laughs> that's just not the answer no though. if if anything, take plugins off, man.
1: oh my God, you know, start with levels
0: right start with panning
1: start with start with that, and then let's find out where things go from there. They're great tools you can do, but you know when you're when you have so many plugins that it is a plugin based you know, and some of this, you know, some of them are from people who just really can't sing and they, they, you know, so you've got literally two different tuning devices tuning in and tuning a different, it's like I'm retuning this to a certain percentage and then I'm I'm at, you know, that's the first plug-in at the top. And then the last plug-in in the chain is we're retuning stuff again. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they're like, yeah, it's just like, it's just a sound. And I'm like, okay, if it works for you. But I'm not touching your mix. It's, no even if I took everything off of it, it's just going to, I'd be chasing my tail to kind of get something that you'd be happy with. So
0: no, thanks. Appreciate it. (laughs) Sure. You know, that's, (laughs) that's kind of the reason why, well, that's kind of the reason why I enjoy mixing and reason so much is you really, I mean, yes, you can, you can put as many plugins as you want to your heart's content, but they're not in your mix window. Mm -hmm. You know, your mix window looks like an SSL desk. So you, Mm -hmm. so you have just a channel strip. You have a, a compressor, a gate, some filters, and an EQ, and then your sends. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can put whatever you'd like in in the insert point on the channel strip, and you can put whatever you like on the sends. But when you're in the mix window, you have one EQ, one compressor, one gate. Yeah. And you don't really have to worry about it.
1: But you know, here's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but I think is true. I, I find it true. And that is all DAWs do not sound the same. No, they don't. And yet there are people who are like, they, it's just ones and zeros. It's like, no, it's not just ones and zeros. It's, it's how you use those ones and zeros. What's your pan law? It's got this, it's got that, it's got, th-. you know, it, not all DAWs sound the same. Some sound thicker, some sound thinner, some sound, they, some sound neutral. And they, they will not believe you. But I have friends of mine who sit around and it's like, I can listen to something and kind of go, that was mixed in Logic. That was mixed in Pro Tools. That was mixed in this. That was mixed in that. And you can listen to it and kind of go, I, I can tell when something is done that way. And it's 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 one of those things. There's a, there's a friend of mine who mixes in Logic. And every time he brings me a mix, I say, dude, it sounds like the top end of your mix is just truncated. Mm-hmm. It's like I know but I like that sound and I'm like okay if it works for you
0: <laughs> well I I think you know I, I I'm I'm a computer science major I'm I'm in programming classes and one of the things that I think you know I I agree with you I, I I don't agree with you 100% and I'll I'll explain why in a second but I do agree with you one of the things that I think definitely aids in that is there's uh, sound comes from workflow as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so like one of the, one of the things that we've, uh, a lot of my peers have noticed the, who, you know, they, and I'm fortunate enough to have peers who play real instruments. You know, I have mm-hmm. uh, one of my buddies who's, who, who makes, uh, who, who does some electronic music in logic. And I think he started uh, producing an Ableton recently, but, but he's a classically trained uh, piano, uh, pianist. Um, and a jazz trained pianist and, and you know, went to uh, Ruth Asawa School of the Arts up here in San Francisco. Um, so he's, you know, really everything about music, right? Uh-huh. And he, uh, one of the things that I noticed when he started switching DAWs was his sound immediately changed, but it was something that I could say that's logic and that's Ableton, not necessarily because of the way the sound engine Differed, and that definitely mm-hmm. was a factor, but it was the way in which your workflow changes makes you think differently makes you do different decisions. I, sure. did, I did a mix in Ableton uh, a while back and I don't like mixing in Ableton.'m I'm, I'm not <laughs> you know it's it they have some very very cool plugins um, and you can do a lot of really neat stuff within yeah. that system but it's just for me the workflow is incredibly difficult. And then I went back and I did it in Pro Tools, and then I did it in Reason. And I, I listened to how it differed. And I was impressed because every time my choices changed. Wow.
2: Um,
0: mainly because of what was in front of me. Now, if I used SSL plugins on every in every DAW, maybe it would be a little bit less different and and uh, and perhaps the the differences in Sound Engine would shine through. No work workflow certainly aids in the difference. I, I don't know how if it's how much you agree or disagree with that, but I I agree with that.
1: But I I went from wow. Let's go back to the nineties. Um, there was a time when I was using radars, mm-hmm. and it was an early adopter of Atari radar. Sure, um, and they were great. And for the price, I think they were, at the time, they were $25,000. It was back when 3348s were still, you know, one hundred eighty dollars mm-hmm. And uh, I remember having these conversations with Barry Henderson, who owned IS at the time. Uh, and I said to him, what you guys need to be able to do is to have a user interface that allows you to be able to cut up. You guys have the best sounding D converters on the market, hands down undeniable but the ability to go in and edit something is still a little archaic right and i said let me just show you this uh, project um, uh, this stuff called logic i said if you could do something like this it was great and i didn't i wasn't thrilled at the way it handled uh, audio but i knew that it would at least give me more capabilities than the radar was having Mm mm-hmm And I was a Logic user 96, 97, Well, before Apple bought it out. Well before, yeah. I mean, it was still, it was PC-based and it was Mac-based up until, you know, they bought it. Mm -hmm. But then I spent a year, my friend Kurt Viscera told me, he said, dude, you should check Pro Tools. And I said, those are the same guys who did sound tools? He goes, yeah, but, you know, Pro Tools is completely different now. And I spent a year sitting down with, um, every week at Westlake Audio, I would go in every (laughs) week or every other week and just sit down and start asking questions. So I knew exactly what I was getting into before I bought Pro Tools. And when I was ready to pull the trigger, I was already up to date. Um, Tom Graham would sit there every week with me and say, here's, here's, you know, he would answer all my questions and it was the confidence that you know he had in in pro tools that made me kind of go yeah i'm ready to jump ship from from radar cuz i need now this this ability to be able to go in and cut up stuff and when i was working on a, a loggins record during that time on uh, 2000, 2000 to 2002 somewhere in there he would listen and we would have like an eight bar pattern that we were doing on the bridge let's say or a 16 bar pattern and he would say okay of that percussion use uh uh bar one bar seven and bar eight and then just loop that and then make uh, a section out of that and then you know fly that around right and i could not do that on the fly with radar
0: but you can do it in pro tools
1: i could do it in pro tools and so for me it's just like okay then the next step from that was, let me let me see what it's like. Okay, if, if I'm doing this in Pro Tools and I'm all doing all these rough mixes, and I went to his management and he said, These rough mixes are not roughs, they're 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 finals. I mean, what are we waiting for? Um, it got to the point where I had mastered it over the time of working with it, to the point where it's like, by the time I was done with that album, I've been completely mixing in. In, in Pro Tools, Lock, Stock and Barrel. And I think I did the Whitney Houston Christmas album because I took off, I worked for two and a half years on one record with Kenny and then took off the weekend and then jumped into a Whitney Houston Christmas album. Huh. And that went right all the way up till, I think that was the end of 2003 or something. And that went right up until January and that jumped into like a Backstreet Boys thing. And it's like, we were we were so deep into the, the projects we were spending so many hours learning about this stuff. It's like, hey, when you guys come out with a new version, can you do this? Can you do that? And there were just so many wonderful tools. Like, and you would ask for them. It's like, hey, could you guys do this? And this was long before. This is like Pro Tools 5, dude.
0: Right.
2: This
1: is like before there was, you know, gosh, I mean, not everything, I, I can't give you a list of things that were just not in there. But there were so many cool, wonderful things that we just started being able to automate everything. And it just like it opened up worlds to us. Mm-hmm. And if we could track it through some other A to D and then go, because the 888s at the time were horrible sounding.
0: Right. Um, yeah, that's, that, you know, that was what I was going to ask is if you were
1: still on 888s. And, and, and we, I, I, I have my home studio set up so that I would track through radar, mm-hmm. take it out AES and go into the 888s. Gotcha. So it worked for me. I just had the the radar as my A to D converters,
0: right, and then bring the
1: digital into the eight eight eight, and then it was a, we were in the domain, you we were a digital domain from there forward,
0: right. Well, you know, I, I mean, the one ninety two was definitely a big step, but I oh, yeah. I will I will admit when when Pro Tools nine came out, and that was right when I was starting to to mm-hmm. look at it. it was right when nine was out. And then Pro Tools 10 showed up, and that's when I bought. I bought into Pro Tools 10, yeah. and I was so happy when Pro Tools 9 was the first DAW that you didn't have to have a an Avid certified interface coupled with it. Right. Yeah. Um. Because they they were making some good stuff. I mean, M powered was cool. the The Delta 1010s, as far as you know, not Avid made. Well, at the time, not digi Design made stuff. Yeah. Um. The M audio gear was all right, but the I I was always disappointed. Not that I was ever at the time buying a Pro Tools HD rig, but I was always kind of disappointed with the Digidesign branded uh, converters.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, I used I didn't use the eight 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 that much because, like I said, I was using the radars and going into right. the 888s. right. But I I was really to me, the company took a turn when Avid bought them. That was a very frustrating time for me, because we in LA, um, digit design would really pay attention to the end users. It's like they would sit down, and they would come down, and you know, we, they would come down to tech breakfast and sit down and say, you know, what do you guys want? How can we make it better? What what features are you looking for? What are you looking to do? Let us know what you want. And they were really responsive in so many ways. And things started to change once Avid took them over, because it's just like, it's like, they weren't listening to us anymore. They didn't care. It's like, well, you're going to buy the boxes because we're the big dog on the block. And it really wasn't the same. And I don't think Pro Tools was the same after that, for me, at least. Um, They just weren't as responsive. They would They'd listen to you and they'd kind of like, yeah, okay, well, we're going to try and work on it maybe kind of. There are still things today that we, you know, I used to go to, to you know, design and say, listen, you know what I really need? I've got like these 30 clients this year. I need to be able to archive a session with these clients. I want to be able to take a Pro Tools session and without opening it up, put it on some kind of app. And have that app tell me exactly everything that is in that session. I want to know the plugins and the version of that plugin, so that you can archive it. Because if you had AutoTune four, by the time you got AutoTune five, it wouldn't work anymore. And if you had auto- automated AutoTune four, you'd be screwed because you had to go in and completely redo everything. Right. So there were a lot of features that it's like, let's have an archive. So we would know exactly without having to, you know, double click and open up something. Here's what the plugins were. Here's what was on them. Here's the sample session rate and the number of tracks and what you know, all of that kind of stuff. Even today, I think that could be useful for a lot of people in a lot of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: just like okay, I can tell you what's on the session and where things are and blah 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 without ever having to open it up. And especially now because you've got to, you can't open up a Pro Tools five session without
0: like everything crashing <laughs> because it's just like, it just doesn't work. Well, or, or f- having Pro Tools force you to convert into a modern CTX yeah. file. Yeah. It would be great just to have that, just the archive of that. So you
1: have an understanding of where you're at musically. It's like, okay, I know that, you know, it's, especially when we're done with an album, you archive everything, you the lyrics and the rough mixes and the, the, the final mixes and all of those things. It's just great. That's a moment in time. And if you could set that aside, and if you ever need to come back to that moment in time, it would just be able to say, oh, yeah, here's what you're going to need to be able to get back up and running. EQ 2 from Pro Tools did not translate into the EQ 3. Mm-hmm. And so you had all these things and you're automating all these cool, wonderful things, but they never translate it. And, and it's like, you know, that's a pain in the butt. You got the LexiVerb. you had all these other cool things that Design had, but they never translate it. And it's like, dude, that's not, that's just not helpful in any way. So I don't know. I, I, I still, I think there's a lot of room for these DAWs to kind of reach out to their client base and give them more useful tools that would help us, you know, um, to archive our client's work. Right. So that we can go back. It's like, you know, I've I've been working with Pro Tools now for 21 years straight. Mm -hmm. I should be able to go back and at least pull from the archives and say, yeah, that's the song we did in 2004. And, you know, it's not going to crash upon, you know, re-entry. Or there's like, you know, this will take you, this app will take you from Pro Tools 5 to 6 and then this will get you from six to eight and this will take you to nine. And then once you're in nine, you're good to go.
0: Right. And right. I shouldn't have a, have to have a G five with, with Pro Tools seven to Tools Exactly.
1: 5. That's exactly my point. I gotta go back and I gotta get a G four or I gotta get you know it's like you gotta be kidding
0: me. You know, it's how's that possible? It's funny. So. I was I, I did a session in um in New York years ago. And we just started working on it. And I actually did finally convert it. Uh, I'm I'm still running Pro Tools 11. And I'll, I'll mm-hmm. explain why I'm still running Pro Tools 11 in a second. But I, I didn't really want to convert it. But I did actually have a uh, Pro Tools M-powered license. Pro Tools mm-hmm. M-powered 7.4 something. I don't know. It was recorded in mm-hmm. HD 7.4.2. And so I brought it home to my M-powered rig. So I had an MDD with the Pro Tools M-powered rig. Um. Running uh OS leopard 10 Leopard 10.5.8 <laughs> on a uh, on a well, let me think about this. I think it was a dual one gigahertz MDD. Cool machine, but you know, why Why did I need to have it? You know, it's really no point. You
1: know, it's funny. You 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 mentioned Leopard, and I'm thinking, oh my god, how far back was that?
0: That you know? that released in oh my god. 2000, I think Jeez. 2007, because oh God, yeah. So the G5s released in 2003. The first G5 came out. Then that's crazy. Then 2005 was Tiger. Then 2007 was Leopard. Then in 09 they released Snow Leopard. And that's when they phased mm. out support for all the power p c stuff mm. Mm. and now we're here they uh, the most recent version of mac os is they were gonna call it ten sixteen but now it 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 became mac os eleven mm. finally big sir you know
1: um I still have in my closet a Apple Macintosh 512kE. Really. With and it still works. It's I booted it up like once a year <laughs> with a 20 meg hard drive.
0: Now that's that's uh-huh. that's large living with yeah. one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> a 20 meg hard
1: drive. It's an external hard drive that the Mac 512kE would sit on top of. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you can't find floppy disks for them anymore, but I still have that same you know the keyboard and everything and it still boots up and it
0: still runs what'd you use and it that's for? from 84 was-, was it sure yeah did you ever run any sessions on that i mean i know i know in the 90s when when jungle music started coming out of the uk they were using amigas to do a lot of their sampling
1: no, I think I don't think that they did anything really until the SE 30s with Apple. Right. And I think it was the first box it could really like, you know, do music applications.
0: And I think the Macintosh 2 as well and like the LC and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, but it's it wasn't I, I mean, I I remember oh gosh, that, it was, seems like 100 years ago. But I remember the first kind of vestiges of of apps being like condensed down to a computer were the se30 and in that kind of it was still shaped like an old you know 512 128k mac but it had like a lot more power and then you had the quad was it the 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 apple quad i think the 950 Mm -hmm. that was the workhorse for a long time when they started putting out pci slots right and they had the new bus, and it was just like wow. And on the new know?
0: bus, there was a there was a company that made um, an i three eighty six PC on a card, and you could uh, you could put it in between uh, the computer and the graphics card, and you could go and you could push a button that said go PC, and it would run Windows on your Macintosh. But it was really just like this very very low power um, PC on a PCI card. <laughs> yeah,
1: and to see these all these changes, you know, throughout the industry, you can. And I, I'm, I, I, you know, I'm a big proponent of, of, of Pro Tools still, and I've got a a HDX system Mm -hmm. and everyone keeps saying, you know, I mean, everyone has been saying this for 10 or 15 years. Like, well, there will come a time when the HDX won't, you know, you won't need that. You won't need that. But I have this philosophy that people, software manufacturers will always build up and a little bit beyond the capability of what the hardware is they're selling. so as great as these machines are, as fast as these machines are, I think the software manufacturers are just, you know, it's like there's some features we can't even put in yet because the processing power just won't handle it yet. And then they kind of catch up and then they start putting in more processing power. But I I don't, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's ever really going to catch up to that point. You know what I mean by that?
0: Yeah, I, I sort of do. And then, and then you look at someone like Apple, who we've been talking about a bunch, put put their newest, uh, their latest and greatest computer chip from the Mac into the iPad. And you go, well, the bottlenecks now the software, because it's the most powerful right. thing on the planet.
1: You know? Yeah. And it's that leapfrog that constantly it's like we're going to write software to this point, but the hardware can't catch up. And then the hardware is like, OK, we can we've caught up now where you got it's like, OK, well, now we've got this. And there's this constant leapfrogging that happens, um, especially when you're talking about stuff like, uh, I do a a little bit of film editing inside Mm DaVinci, and um, the amount of stuff that they are writing code for, it's just like, these things are getting faster and faster than the computers are, but these guys are leapfrogging each other with like, how fast is your, you know, your computer? Well, it's like, what do you need your software to do? Right. And they keep, they keep doing that. And I think there's that same thing that is going on inside audio production. It's like, I would love to be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, you, you don't have the capability of doing that. Or you got to spend a freaking fortune.
0: Right. Well, I mean, you know, 15 years ago, nobody would have been able to do preamp emulation. I mean, they started doing preamp emulation, but it wasn't a thing. And then Focusrite came out with the liquid preamps and the liquid channel and they mm-hmm. did that. Now look at uh, look at what UA is doing with their preamps. We we yeah. build a clean preamp so you can put whatever emulation on top of it you want. You want a 1073, we got you. You want an right. API 312, we got that, you know. Right. Yeah,
1: I think I think it's still in I mean as much as they've done. It they're still like in the early stages of like being able to combine different systems in a hybrid kind of world of like, well, what if we took this and this and this, and we put all this in one side of one box? Sure. It's not just, just you know, we're just a mic pre and a compressor or, you know, it's like now you're combining multiple hybrid systems that could you could never think of before. And I think there's going to be a lot of that in the future. So it's, you know, it's 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 kind of like the cool wild, wild west of like, what if we could do this? Mm-hmm. It's like, we still can. So, yeah.
0: Well, you know that's kind of the beautiful thing of the of the hardware guys one-upping the software guys, and then the software guys one-upping the hardware guys. Yeah. Going, we're we're going to con it, it. It's it's both a beautiful and a saddening thing, beautiful, <laughs> saddening, and maddening because you know there there is a part of me, especially as a uh, a former Apple technician and and somebody who's a computer science major, who who really wants the hardware and the software to just Always be at the same level, mm-hmm. right? But at the point where it's always at the same level, then where do we have to go? You know, like right. the the gumption to improve will will be lost upon people. At least in in my head, that
1: will happen. No, I think that's a valid point.
0: I think I think that leapfrogging is good
1: competition, especially within Apple, where it's like you know, I saw I saw something the other day where Google uh, was making appointments for somebody. And they were speaking. Your Google assistant was speaking to a live person, mm-hmm. trying to make a um, an appointment. Yep. But it's an AI speaking to someone live. Mm-hmm. And and I you know that's not available to my knowledge on Apple right now. No. Uh, and I'm just like, man, this you know this the sky is the limit as to where we're going on
0: all this stuff. Right. Yeah. There's there's there. There really is nothing that it, that people won't think of these days, you know. Yeah. And and think about, you know, think about that from the audio perspective. I mean, they they fed a bunch of Beatles and a bunch of classical music and a bunch of other stuff into what is known now as machine learning and artificial intelligence. And they had and they gave that AI the directive to write a song, and it wrote mm-hmm. songs, you yeah. know. Um so, so the computers can now write the music. <laughs> it's frightening, dude. I, I don't know how we're. I, I, I don't know where we're gonna go. <laughs> it's I, I don't know frightening. What I, I, I am intrigued to see how machine learning will aid in our work in real-world scenarios. You know, and and in in uh, Dawes especially, in that you know the editing process might be a lot easier. You know, quantization technology with some sort of artificial intelligence or machine learning can analyze a a piece of audio and give you different quantizations immediately without having to, you know, do it by hand. And I I, I say this having just done a lot of hand quantization and and (laughs) grid alignment and all that stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, I am curious as to see where it goes, but I, I would like to see AI in the tracking mode.
1: I would love to see AI listen to the vocal and think this mic pre is too loud. Sure. And we're going to, you know, this, you know, this is the characteristics of a kick. This is the characteristics of a vocal, a lead vocal. This is the characteristics of a horn. And listen, and automatically know, it's like we've got to back the pre-down automatically so that we can still catch capture richness in in the, in the tones that we're getting. But everything is like, okay, right now, that sound that's coming in is putting us in the red. Mm-hmm. And if you've got something that can do that and can work with you um, quickly, that helps a lot, especially when you're tracking big bands. Or, you know, it's like you're doing, you know, you got 20 pre's going out at the same time. It's like, it's like I, every once in a while, something will, will go over. If you're using a vintage API or something, it's like, okay, he hit the kick a little too hard and we've got to, you know, back it down and back it down. If there was an AI that could say, this is a kick channel. I know it's a kick channel. It has these kinds of properties. And so therefore we can't let it get past a certain
0: point. Right. I would, you know, to that point, kicks, vocals, snares especially, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you have a track where where in the verses, say, which is something that I've been doing lately, the verses are side stick. And so you have yeah. to bring the preamp up for the side stick to come through and then you take it down when when it goes mm-hmm. back to regular snare hits mm-hmm. or if the guy's doing rim shots in a place to make, to add some extra mm-hmm. emphasis and you pull the preamp down even more, you know. Um, I would love to see that. I, going back to Al Schmidt, you know, he, he, on every session he rode faders. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. Imagine, imagine what Al would have done. He he could have he could have put his feet up on the desk. Well, well, the AI rode the faders for.
1: Yeah, and I think that's that's new frontier for us. Um, you know, I was talking to um uh, a manufacturer. And he said to me, what would you like to see? And I said, I would like to see every piece of analog gear in the world have a USB or FireWire or Ethernet interface. And he said, why? And I said, because I want to be able to recall it. I want to be able to, to have that analog piece of gear detailed. So I've got a physical representation on my screen, and all I have to do is click it's like a recall but it's like this is where all of your stuff goes to and it doesn't make a difference how old your stuff is if it's a piece of gear from 20 years ago you can retrofit a usb or whatever and you can have you know they can all daisy chain through each other and they all have individual numbers so it's like oh this is a a designs hammer this is a A designs nail this is a A designs em eq the output of this it's like it's a physical representation on your screen, and that's the recall for your all your analog outboard gear.
0: Right. Well, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, Neve probably, I think, two years ago now released their newest console, which I mm-hmm. don't think had any physical EQ on it. I mean, it was a full console. It had full channel strips, but you controlled all of your dynamics and EQ from a plug and it wasn't a plug-in, but it was a it was a controller application mm-hmm. essentially that went into your insert point on mm-hmm. on your uh Daw's session. And it yeah. was specifically meant for hybrid. So you had the faders up, but you controlled all of your uh EQ dynamics, anything else from 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 the DAW session. But you were still yeah. running an analog piece of gear. It was still completely analog, it was copper summing audio. Yeah.
1: You know, and that to me is like, that's where the hybrid worlds work, mm-hmm. you know, right. And this is a vintage piece of gear and there's a, you know, I'm sure somebody down the line will do it. It's like, here's a retro kit and they'll, you know, you could put in a little retro kit into any kind of hybrid system you need to. And they all run over cat five or any number of things. And then somebody builds a UI that goes into your Mac. And then that's stored into Pro Tools or any other DAW you want. Right. Right. Well, I mean, and it's if, like when I get recall, it's like, boom, done.
0: Right. I mean, in, in, the, in the grand scheme of Cat 5, I mean, look at how popular Dante is nowadays. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was talking to somebody. You know, I was, I was on the phone with Dusty Wakeman of Mojave Audio.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And he and I were talking about it. And he was, I, I told him I was singing the praises of Focus, right? and I, I, how much I, I loved Focus, right? And he went, you know, I got to tell you, Daniel. If I'm if I'm ever building another studio or I reopen Mad Dog, I'm not going analog paths anymore. I'm going either Dante or Rednet and right. running all Cat Five. Right.
1: Yeah. And because there's something, you know, that that system works on a lot of levels. Um and it works flawlessly. Yeah. <laughs> it works flawlessly. But you know, it, it's taken us how long to get to that point.
0: Right. You know. And in addition, all of that stuff is repeatable and replaceable. I mean, you think about it. You, you Let's say you have on your tie lines from uh, your live room into the control room. If you have some copper cabling go down the wall, you have to find that cabling, fish it out, change it, and you don't know how much else is going to fail. You have one Ethernet cable. You probably have a pretty short point-to-point ethernet cable going between the wall it's still a cable going through the wall but it's one cable Mm -hmm. you have that go down pop the cable yeah
1: well you know it's just like i i at one point would i would say to somebody why can't you in my a to d converter why can't you just um someone just be able to log in into my a to d converter and listen to the mix directly out of there. But, you know, they've conquered that now in a hurry where you can stream. I mean, audio movers and sound elements, uh, source elements, have have done that now flawlessly. Mm -hmm. And they do that with the greatest of ease. And then, you know, it's just like uh, I've got some friends who, you know, do the online mastering stuff. And then they have an approximation of what mastering, even though they may go to a mastering engineer eventually. But while they're cranking out rough mixes every day, you know, all the artists are like, can you just like make it loud? Right. <laughs> it's like, okay. Right. So you use the online mastering system just to kind of crank it out. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to take it to a real mastering engineer and take, have it done.
0: Right. And, it's, um, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen ads for uh, things like Lander or Output.io. Or, you know, yeah. I, I haven't seen ads for it, but, you know, knowing Pete Dell you obviously hear about the Aftermaster products and yeah, everything that sure. they're doing. Now they're finally going back into, not that they weren't there in the first place, but they're, they're taking all that stuff that they've studied from the Aftermaster stuff that they were doing for hearing loss and television and all of those boxes that they were making. And they're going back and putting it in, in a digital platform for you to upload your music to. You know, right. if you want to go sure. to Pete, you can go to Pete, but if you yeah. want to have a max, a master in five minutes to have a general sense of it, you do that. I
1: told that to somebody the other day, they said, I said, who's going to, you know, do your mastering? And they told me, I said, you know what, you should just run it through an online mastering. Um, just check it out and make sure that it's, you know, everything is sitting where you want it to sit. Sure. he he, I said that way you avoid it coming back from mastering go it sounds completely different than what I thought it was going to sound like it's like do yourself do your future self a favor and just take it to online mastering and that has just been a tool I don't I I don't I mean I still go to Pete um for my stuff um but there's this thing that I've kind of gone through it's like I know where that vocal is sitting Mm -hmm. I know where the horns are going to sit I know where the you know there's no guesswork by the time I get it back from him. It's like, I've already kind of gone through 30 different versions of online mastering. I know what's happening
2: now.
0: Right.
1: So it just makes, it makes that technology has made my life easier and it it makes it easy for him. He can listen to it and kind of go great, man. Mixes are awesome. Like, cool. Thank you.
0: Right. So it makes, it makes everybody's job easier. It's no, yes. I, I don't think the online stuff. I know Lander was trying to make, people say you know hey you can run it through our product and and this will be releasable and maybe for some people they like that sound me personally i'd like you know real ears to be listening to my, yes listening to my music and and hearing where they can improve it yeah but um as a tool for making my job easier and making sure whoever mastering engineer i send it to i send whatever project to uh doesn't rip my hair out or their hair out. Yes. <laughs> it's a great tool. Yeah. Stefan
1: Marsh did a uh, a mastering job on something uh for me a couple of weeks ago and he was just like dude it's it's just it's spot on. And I was just like, well, I've been running all the mixes through this online system. So I've kind of worked out the bug so that I when I by the time I gave it to you, you wouldn't have to say it kind of peaked at blah 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 blah, or just, it's like you know, it's like we work those things out and we know what's going on. And the client was a client of of uh, Stephen and uh I mean Stephen Marsh, and he was just like, you know, I I, I really I appreciate the stuff that you're giving to me because it's sounding really good and I have a really good idea what it's going to sound like when I get ready to have it mastered for real. And I'm like, that's the whole point of mm-hmm. it. That's to me. That's where the tools come in handy. Instead of like guessing, like I have no idea what this thing is going to sound like when it comes back from mastering, and sometimes you don't. Right. But now it's just like I know where the bodies are buried on this
0: sucker. I'm good to go. Sure, sure.
2: <laughs>
0: you know, I heard a since we're on the topic of mastering, I've I've heard some people sending out stems to mastering instead of just a two mix, and I I'd I'd get it if it was a five one surround master that you had to do, but not not for a normal stereo master. What what what's your opinion on that?
1: I abhor stems. I abhor the word stems. I don't like doing stems. I I don't like printing stems for people because that's just a chance for them to fuck up the mix, dude. Yeah. And I'm just tired of it. You know, um you know, especially when you're working in I've had too many examples where you do stems for a film stuff and you go back and you listen to it and and you you go to a screening of it or something it's like there's like a whole like stem mix of percussion that is missing from this cue Mm -hmm. and turns out that they forgot to turn up that particular stem and it's like this is why i don't like doing stems
0: yeah i'm not a fan of stems when i've had some friends uh who are in the electronic space and they you know they're all of my friends are jazz trained musicians or classical oh. trans musicians. And in this case, the the guy is a, a trained ethnomusicologist from UCLA. And, uh, I, he, he said, let me, let me take a look at the stems. I didn't even make stems. I just sent him raw files. <laughs> I was like, you can have tracks. I'm not, I'm not giving you stems. No. <laughs>
1: I'm with you. Like, look, I'll give you the whole session, but I'm not giving you stems. It's just like, you know, and then, i'm working on i've got one project i've been working on for four years it's a 160 song project oh boy yeah and the art uh the the uh executive producer of the project came to me and said we need stems on these 30 songs i was like do you know how long it's going to take to make stems on 30 songs i said this is not i don't bounce to disc i this is real time right I said, you know, I said, don't expect this anytime soon. He's like, no, no, but we're really going to need it. I'm like, I'm sure you're thinking you're going to need it. And I did it a year ago and they still haven't done anything with it. I'm like, dude, that was just a waste of my time. You know, you've got some songs that have got like 150 tracks and, you know, it's like, can you make a stem of just like the Sopranos and a stem of the altos and a stem? I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's like, this is a waste of time guys but you know, it's your wasting your money. So,
0: you know, if, if somebody asks me to take stems out, the, the one thing that I can appreciate from this is, this is why, I, again, I'm seeing the praises of my Daw of choice, but like when you, uh, when you export, uh, tracks out of reason, they don't, mm-hmm. they, it keeps all of the tracks in one project file. It's not like pro tools where you have an audio files, uh, an audio files folder, so you have to bounce mm-hmm. them. Uh, if you want the tracks, you you gotta bounce them out of uh, from your mixer channels. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't put settings on them. I, I if I bounce out, I don't leave my settings on. I maybe I'll normalize all of them just so that somebody has something easy to work with. But mm-hmm. I tend to bust all of my drums and bust all of my horns and bust everything. Mm-hmm. So the nice mm-hmm. the nice thing about that is that I can. Say, all right, bounce the buses and I'll just have everything in a bus and quote unquote, yeah. stems. But if I didn't use reason or anything similar where I could export from the buses, I, I would, I would kill you. Be hosed. Oh, yeah, I would, I would be royally screwed. I, yeah, and I wouldn't see the point, you know. Yeah, I, I barely see the point of doing it with <laughs> an easy, uh, a means of easy ways of doing it, you know.
1: Well, a couple of months ago now, um, Stefan Marsh had the same client. And he he said to me, you know, this is, I think it was, I think the artist's name is Tanisha Hare. She was uh, either a finalist or a winner of uh, The Voice. Hmm. And um, he had four or five songs that they wanted me to mix. And I I listened to the, the material and I thought, you know, for once, I don't think I'm gonna do this analog. I'm not gonna do this in a hybrid way. Huh. I think I'm gonna go ahead and mix this completely in the box. And um and I it was one of those choices that just like it just struck me like this song needs to be mixed in the box. It's got that kind of edge, it needs to have that kind of thing. It doesn't need the analog character or roundness or warmness or anything. And I worked on it for uh, you know, two or three days because I was just kept doubting myself like I don't I maybe I should go back into the you know into all my analog boxes and and finally I sent it to the producer and he was like dude this is amazing and I'm like uh, okay I said I just I and because I was second guessing myself about you know it's like I I haven't worked completely in the box in 15 years
0: sure sure
1: and so I was second guessing myself, but then once I was there, I'm like, well, now I can do I could bounce this out and just do multiple bounces because it's now completely and that was one of the beauties of saying I've just I could freeze it inside Pro Tools and just be done with mm-hmm. it. And that was the nice thing about stepping away from the analog stuff, because all the analog stuff I gotta go in real time. I can't freeze that. That doesn't work that way. Well. Right. Um so that was one of the nice things about, and I did all, I think, I think out of the five songs, I think I did three out of the five. There were two jazz cuts that, that they did that they really wanted to, you know, go back to the, the the hybrid world of having, you know, everything through analog boxes. And it showed, too. It really, it was really great. Sure. But it was just one of those things where just like, man, I just went, man, I, you know, I should cross back and forth between these two worlds more often. Mm-hmm. but you know you have guys who are you know i like serban i think is completely in the box and has been completely in the box for years
0: sheps is completely in the box. He, yeah i mean i remember and, and that was hard to believe
1: because it's like dude how long is yeah he
0: had that he was analog king forever right he had he had like three racks the size of a wall yeah full of gear he had he had that uh Oh hell! What was that? He called it. I think he called it Fat Boy, and he it was. Oh God, I don't remember the compressor what it was, but he called it Fat Boy, and it was kind of broken. But that was why it was. It was the best one. <laughs> um, and those two Neve consoles in an L, and I remember. Um, he did that thing for Fab Dupont's uh, mm-hmm. pro mixing and recording mm-hmm. school. Uh, right when he was like ending his tenure as as the as the analog king. Mm-hmm. And he went and here's this thing that I just he, I, I just put five different pieces of analog gear and hybridized that with a plug in. And I pushed three buttons on two consoles and I did it in about five seconds. And yeah. that's the beauty of the analog gear. And then all of a sudden, a year and a half later, he was completely in the box. <laughs> you
1: know, and, and here's here's two here's two things I find interesting about that uh and i i i remember uh andrew from he was back in the Sinclair days mm-hmm. and sure. so i've known him since 85 86 um so his ears to me are just sonically just they're they're golden and they're amazing i just think that there's something about being able to go and cross between the two worlds that keeps you um, sonically sharp. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it would not surprise me if, um, you know, a year from now or something, he comes back and says, I've gone back to a little hybrid world because it's like, it's like you don't want to lose that edge of being able to mix in the box completely. Or you don't want to lose that edge of being in a hybrid thing where it's like, I brought all this stuff out to analog devices and did X, Y, and Z. Right. You don't want to lose any of those edges. So crossing back and forth between the two worlds is actually beneficial to you as a mixer because it's not like I'm just stuck in this rut and I don't know how to get out of it sonically. Right. It's like, no, keep yourself fresh. Keep yourself sonically like, wow, this is this is a challenge for me to do this. So when I went back in the box this year, you know, two months ago, and I knocked out that mix, I'm like, wow, it was kind of fun going back completely in the box. It was different. Mm-hmm. It was a challenge for me to like, It's like, how am I going to get that warmth and that bottom end and that smack that I'm I'm used to with the analog boxes completely in the box again? Right. So it's just good to do just just to, you know, change it up. You know, there are certain things that you can do that are always the same and that's fine and, you know, whatever. But then every once in a while, you just need to kind of like throw yourself into the deep, dark pit of like, well, there's something new. Let's try this. Right.
0: Well, you know, it was funny since we're on the topic of Sheps when Neve released that board that we were talking about earlier where most of it was controlled with a DAW based plugin, Mm -hmm. but it was still an all analog path. I went, boy, if if Andrew Sheps goes back to being analog in like two, three years, this has got to be what he's going to go back to Mm -hmm. because his whole thing now is he travels the world. Well, now he doesn't, he's back on speakers and an iMac, but you know, there, <laughs> there was that point in time, you know, I remember AES, you know, he did an interview AES 2016, I think, 2017, mm-hmm. something like that. And he said, yeah, I, I stopped using all my analog gear and I'm on a, a pair of headphones with a universal audio Apollo interface on a laptop and I'm just traveling and doing mixes, you know? Yeah. And you're going, wow, chefs can do that. And he, and he, any, he, any, he, any, he, I think he said that he loved the fact that he could recall. And I, I went, wow. Right. Sheps, Sheps right. is right.
1: <laughs> However, he can do that because he's gone. He's paid his dues. He's He's gone the, through the rough side of the mountain with analog gear. Right. He knows how to craft a sound. And I mean, I did a mix the other day for somebody and I just, you know, my, my Bryson, it was weird because I just, I was having like a little issue with my Bryson, so I just shut off my monitors and just just did the whole mix inside a pair of headphones and sent it to the client. He goes, Well, I didn't I think I was gonna see anything from you because I thought there was you having issues with your Bryson today. It was either the Bryson or the NS10, something went down. Sure. And I said, I'm just gonna knock out the mix. And I did the whole thing with just a pair of headphones. And he was like, I can't believe you did this with a pair of headphones. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah. Uh, and my Eric, my friend, Eric Jackson, was, he's like, dude, I can't, you know, what'd you use? I said, a pair of 7506s from Sony. He's like, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, but I knew where the bodies were buried on the mixes. I knew what I was looking for. Sure. So there was no guesswork as to like, I knew what those headphones sounded like. I knew my Pro Tools. I knew my plugins. I knew, you know, all of those things. So there was no guesswork involved. It was just a matter of like, you know, doing what I do. So I get what, what, when chef says, okay, I'm going to go through and like knock this out and I just need a laptop and a pair of headphones. I get that.
0: Yeah. He knows. And I mean, if you think about it, he, he's no stranger to in the box. I mean, he didn't go in the box from analog without any, uh, 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 priming his his ears because y- you hear him talking about, yeah, if I couldn't, if I didn't have a studio to go mix at, I wasn't mixing on an analog desk. I had a Mackie, uh, uh, <coughs> I had a Huey controller and Pro Tools. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's funny. It's like, you know, it's like you could take Al Schmidt and you could put Al in anywhere. It's like, okay, but Al's still out. Right. He knows what he's listening for. Mm hmm. And there's, there's wisdom in those years of being able to, you know, of being able to make something sound right. You can listen to a vocal. I, I was at some event 20 years ago, and the guy was kind of talking about uh, <laughs> what this, this plug-in can do and this and this and this and this. And, this. and Bob Clearmountain walked up. <laughs> and he's talking to the guy, you know, the, our guy, he's just he explaining stuff. And Bob goes, I think you're half DB down at 2K. And everybody looked at clear him <laughs> out like, dear God in heaven, how did you know that? And the guy checked it and he goes, and, and everybody looked and, and it it was buried. The guy didn't have the stuff linked. And he's like, he was like something like your left side is down like you know, half a dB or a db down at 2K. And the guy had not linked the stereo plug-in. And had manipulated one side of it. Oops. And 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 you know, Bob Clear Mountain's like, yeah, you're just down. And he's just like, how the fuck did he do that? You know? It's <laughs> like, oh my God. And sure enough, he was right. He was a hundred percent right. But this is a guy who, you know, you 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 trust his hearing, you trust what he does, and he walks up and says it, you better check your shit, because it's just like, dude, that that man has, you know. You listen to his mixes; he knows what he's talking about. Right. And sure enough, the guy checked, and it's like, oh, the 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 stereo uh, EQ on the two bus was not linked, and one side was down. And he was a, it was it was maybe a half a dB or a dB, but it was just like, you know, it's like, how do you know that? <laughs> you know, just like it's just in passing. He just walked by, just listening to the guy talking, like, yeah, you might want to check your left side. It's still like half dB on the left side, two K. right so not everybody can do that but but because you've been in the trenches and you know that's something that comes from a period of time and listening to something and knowing what you're listening for Mm -hmm. you know mick gazowski can do that kind of stuff you know there are certain people who can do those things and you just listen to them it's like your mixes are impeccable
0: toby scott toby scott can do shit like that he he mixes on uh, when I talked to him and he said he mixed on a pair of NS-10s as A speakers, I went, how the hell do you do it? You know? Listen. And he and he went, because they sound like crap. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm mixing well, on I, crappy speakers. I, so that- I have had
1: the same pair of NS-10s since 1985. I changed out the components. But I have had the same pair. I bought a pair of NS-10s in 1985. And they have been my go-to. And my friend Eric is always just like, I hate you because your NS10s don't sound like any other NS10s I've ever used. And I'm like, it's NS10s with, you know, a Bryston. And that's just the way it is. But I know where the bodies are buried on. I know what's going on on those mixes. Mm-hmm. So if you know, and that becomes your, you know, your reference point, then you can go in and do something and you can, you know, you could be like chefs and go, Hey, look, I'm just going to take this laptop and these pair of headphones. I'm going to mix. Right. Cuz he knows what the hell he's doing. Not everybody can pull that off,
0: man. Right. Uh, it's it's <laughs> it's a class of engineer that can that really understands where everything is in a mix and understands their ears. You know, I've I've seen some talented people who and, and you know, not not anybody that I I care to name names. It's mostly in the live sound thing Mm -hmm. um, more, more so than recording, but I've seen some very talented live sound engineers who have the knowledge, but there were times where they just would not use their ears, you know? Right. And speaking to Christina Picari, who has an, who is a gear slut. It's like Mm -hmm. the the biggest (laughs) gear slut of all of us. And she went, but the most when we were talking, she went the most important piece of gear is is the pair of ears that you have on yeah. that you have attached to your head, you know
1: yeah, but if you talk to any of those guys, I mean you know she's a prime example, Pete Dell, all those guys, right. you know Steve genouit, all those guys who went through capital, you know they know what the they know what they're doing
2: right right
1: they they they, they their ears are impeccable they are. They're one of the world's greatest studios and there's a reason why those guys are seconds and know that place impeccably because they have worked on projects, variety of projects over the, you know, how long was Pete a second there? Like for 20 years or something? Almost
0: certain. Yeah. And and what? Uh, Christina has been there for what? 30 years? 33 now? Yeah.
1: And how long has Steve been there? Forever? Oh God. Yeah. I mean so you know you 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 know that these guys know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And when you go into a room and this is something that I used to say all the time I mean um there was a time when I used to work at uh the enterprise like all the time that was like my room I worked at um especially in the 90s. Um and I remember I remember later on in years when I got to be good friends with some of the guys who um, were second engineers there, <clears throat> and you start talking to them and you run into them. And you're like, yeah, you know, it's like, what have you been doing? He's like, Oh, I've been doing this and this and this and this and this. It's like, dude, I, I remember you from the enterprise. Yeah. I used to be your second. And I'm like, what? <laughs> it's like, you know, Manny Maraquin, uh, Dylan Dressa, all these guys, you know, it's like, if you work at a quality place, and this is one of the things that's lacking now in our industry where there's this training ground that allowed you to be able to work with some of the best engineers in the world. And when you got out of there, man, you knew your shit. Yeah. And that's, that's the sad thing when you're sitting here in your home and it's like, you won't learn this kind of stuff that these guys learn. You talked to Steve McMillan and, you know, some of these guys who were like, you know, second engineers, I was never able to be a second engineer. I, I had to learn the, you know, by school of hard knocks. I just, Worked at a, a college, um, you know, audiovisual department. And then opened up my own studio. I didn't have the luxury of being able to work as a second engineer for somebody. Right. But as Steve McMillan used to say to me, it's like, dude, but you developed your own sound faster mm-hmm. because it's like you had your technique down. You had, you know, how you recorded vocals, what you did. You didn't learn it from somebody else. You had to do the school of hard knocks yourself.
0: And you didn't have to clean any toilets to get there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well there's there's you know there's there's something to be learned in cleaning toilets but yeah i i you know it's one of those things but man i you know you talk to these guys and i have so much respect for you know guys like dylan and and and, and manny because they they've gone through the system and they've proven themselves and now they have excelled far beyond it's like Yeah, dude. Yeah, I was a second there, but now I'm making you know killer money with this, you know, with this group and this group, and I'm this group, and and they've paid their dues. And there's so many people who don't understand that you know you you got to pay your dues, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's something that uh, again, going back to Toby Scott, that was something that he talked about a lot. Was you know the last word that he had since I've since I've spoken to him, it was you know you can go to a recording school you can be a certified first engineer but you're not gonna as as technically correct as you might be you might you probably don't know jack shit and you have to you have to learn that you know you you really have to you know we we don't really care if you came out of la recording school you got to come out of the school hard knocks after you do that that's right if you get your bachelor's from the la recording school you get your master's from hard knocks you know yeah it's true. That is 100%
1: true. And a lot of guys who go to these schools don't get that. Yeah. And they step out. they like, well, I've got my degree. And it's like, you got a piece of paper that tells you what? Mm-hmm. That you know how to turn on a piece of gear? Dude, you, you, got, you haven't paid your dues yet. Right. Work as a second for somebody and learn some shit.
0: Well, or, or do the proper thing and go go be a gopher. Go be an intern. Sure. Know? I mean, it might, sure, it might not be but, so lucrative at first, but that's the way to do it. You know? That's
1: the best way to do it. And that's, that's one of the reasons why. And I remember I, I went back and looked at some stuff from 1995, I think it was. But Peter was my assistant in Capitol Studio C. Mm. We were working on Whitney Houston. And I, I, we were writing like these meticulous notes on stuff um, because the old, back then we were pitching a vocal and there was no auto tune back then. We were running it digitally inside an even tie. I think it was a 4,000. Right. And we were running it out out one channel and then back in the other. And then we were changing the pitch and we were manually like, okay, you know, two cents down, five cents down, two cents up, 10 cents up. Mm-hmm. and And Pete was sitting in the back and he was writing the stuff down and I'm sitting here flipping through the dials. I'm like, dude, that word, uh, you know, wonderful, the beginning of it is two cents up. And dur is like three cents down. And then full is like six cents up. Mm-hmm. And so we were going through and we were in a rhythm. And Mervyn Warren, who was producing the stuff for Whitney, was in there. And we were knocking this stuff out. And I was just like, this is where you've got to really have a quality assistant. Right. This is where it's most important. You know, you 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 can't go back and look at them and kind of go, "What did we do on such and such?" And they're like, "I don't know." It's like, no, this is important that you really know your stuff. And man, those guys, it was always a pleasure to work there. And then there were other rooms in town, but Capital is definitely one of those training grounds where it's just like, man, you if you came out of there, you were you were you were way ahead of the class,
0: right? And you know, and speaking to Dusty Wakeman, who didn't who who owned Mad Dog still, but did a lot of work mm-hmm. at Capital. Um, you know, it, it was funny talking to him because he said it, it, he, he spoke the praises of Christina so much because Christina as his second informed him of so many, you know, it, her, her work as his second in some of the, uh, in some of the sessions or, you know, whoever else was the second engineer of the time. I'm just using Christina as the example cause yeah. name comes to mind, but you know, the, the work of those second engineers, I remember him saying to me, you know, a lot of them had better sounding choices in mic placement and uh, outboard and where and what to put ahead of the preamp and what to sure. insert at, uh, after the preamp um, and levels and gain staging. They had better choices and ears in that stuff than a lot of firsts that came through my studio at some point. Absolutely. Um absolutely. And, and undeniable. And like you said, there are other beautiful rooms. I mean Sunset Sound A. Yes. Any any room in Sunset Sound, honestly.
1: But yes, yeah, it's true. Sunset Sound I was just over there three months ago, I think. We were tracking drums, bass, vocals, piano, guitar, horns and keys, second keys
0: all at the same time. Ooh, that must have been a fun session.
1: <laughs> we had people in nooks and crannies everywhere in the room. We had them in. We had the horns in in the machine room. Really? <laughs> we had the horns in the machine room. I'm just like, I'll just sweep the bottom. I don't have to worry about the fan noise. I'll just you know it's it's a trumpet. I'm not going to hear anything down there anyway. you know, It's not going to hear fan noise that low. So it's like let's put them in the machine room, and we were we were tra- we tracked like eight musicians live at the same time. It's just like
0: this is insane. Which, which room were you in? Which can which control room, eh?
1: We were in A, yeah. Right. Which is a great sounding. Oh, room. Oh yeah,
0: God, yeah. I, I, and and to think that that started out life. Same thing with Sound City. It shouldn't sound like it. It shouldn't be a good sounding room. To think that no. that place was a fucking what a, a mechanic shop. Yeah, which is why the floor is angled the way it is.
1: But if you look at, if you look at, okay, if you go there, do well, there are certain rooms that exist no more. Yeah. But there's the anomalies in the room that's just like, dude, that room was amazing for a reason. Mm-hmm. And you think about... Um, uh, I think was it was it Kiss that Prince did in that room in A in studio A? Yeah,
0: and he installed a shower in there and he lived in in Sunset Sound, like in the studio for I think six months.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh and he they asked him to do it somebody, one of the artists asked him to do a demo, and he just was like, Yeah, and he played everything on it in one day. And it was so good, he's just like, I don't think I'm gonna give this song away. I'll I'll write you something else. But he knocked it all the stuff out in one day. That's a great sounding room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that room. It's a little odd in some places, but for drums and just, it's just a great
0: sounding room. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I agree with that 110%. I mean, that, it, for, I've, I've not spoken to many designers, but one of my dear, dear friends who I worked with, he, he ran a pedal company and I was, his, uh, my, my title was tone specialist. And we were actually a we went to Nam. We were a whole e company, anyhow. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an architect by trade, and mm-hmm. and we had talked about some stuff. and And he does a lot of uh things in the audio world. He he designs sound systems now. So he well, he doesn't design the rooms. He he tunes, uh, he tunes the systems to the rooms these days. Sure. And one of the things that he was, you know, they talk about not having your walls completely parallel. You know. Yeah, and and he yeah. talks about it, and and we were talking about sunset sound, probably, oh god, I don't remember. It was months ago. I don't remember the conversation terribly well, but he went. People keep saying that shouldn't be a good sounding room because it's a mechanic shop, but it's it's exactly how most of us would probably design a room, not the most ideal, but close. You yeah. Know.
1: Yeah, there's something about certain rooms. Uh, my favorite drum room in town is Stag Street Studio. Really? Yeah. That is my favorite drum room in town. I, have, I know they have everything I want um, for mics. And I walk in there and I know exactly where to place the drums and make them sound either intimate or bombastic. Nice. And uh, it's just one of those places. It just works. It's a vintage API console. They've got, you know, two M49s and two 47s and, you know, it's like <clears throat> everything, every, you know, they've got original 44 and RCA 44 and they've got just like all these wonderful mics and there's this ability to go in there and know exactly what I'm doing and, and knock it out in like 10 seconds. Like, okay, here's place. Place the drums here. Okay, here we go. Right. And I know exactly where, I know where all the bodies are buried in that room mm-hmm. sonically, you know? so there's just not many places you can do that you know it's just like recording certain things in certain rooms you just know them so well you're able you take the guesswork out of making something sound good and you're able to just capture a performance and that's something we know a lot of people don't get you're so busy it's like i gotta plug this into here and this into here and this into here it's like you know what dude too much drama let the let the artist just sing
0: Well, that's part two, everybody. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking to all you. Special thanks to Mr. Tony Shepard for giving his time so generously. Everybody, tune in next week for part three, the final part of our conversation. I think you're all going to really like it. But for now, this is Daniel the D3 Cohen signing off from Blue Girl Productions Worldwide Headquarters and Studios right here in San Francisco, California. We're ready to record.
2: gift to bring power up that's fit to give a king Pa-ra-pa-pum-pum. 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 Pa-ra-pa-pum-pum.